Jethro and Toby went hunting. They went way out in the wilderness and they finished the day's hunt, didn't kill anything. They're headed back and as the sun began to set, they realized they were lost. And Jethro looked over at Toby and he said, Before it's too bad, you're supposed to fire three shots. Listen for a response. Toby fired three shots and they sat there a minute and didn't hear any response. Jethro said, Toby, after two minutes, we're supposed to fire three more shots. Toby fired three more shots, no response. A few minutes went by. Jethro said, well, Toby, we, we, we better try it again. It's, it's dark now. We're, we're going to be here. We're in trouble. Toby said, Jethro, they better hear me this time because I ain't got but three arrows left. <laughs> That's what you call fighting the right battle with the wrong weapons. I'm going to bring you some weapons tonight. I'm not only excited about preaching to you, I'm excited about preaching with you. It's been quite a battle today. Just digging and and today's been war and every now and then when you're in war you just got to go pray. And uh, we're learning from day to day this tragic event in Florida. My, my, I can't imagine being a family member of one of those that have perished in that building collapse. But they're already releasing early information even from three years ago and stuff in the last few months that even gave a worse report that the reason that building collapsed, and this is not an official reason, but it's a preliminary reason, was foundational issues. Well, that hit me today, thinking about this message, this lesson. We're going to teach a little, preach a little. You can build the most beautiful building for the world to see, but if you don't have your foundation right, it's just a matter of time, and all that beauty turns to ashes. And so, I love you. And I'm going to bring you some foundational preaching tonight and teaching. We're just going to dig around a little bit. And it's going to be good because it's going to be the word of the Lord. And I'm not going to stray from that. I'm not going to gather a bunch of opinions. We're going to stay right here in the word. Amen. Tell you what, let's do. Let's just pray because I don't want you to stand. I think there's nine verses maybe that we'll read, but I want us to just pray that we'll hear it, we'll understand it, we'll respond to it, and that our foundation will be strengthened. Let's do it. God, you're an awesome God. You've never left us. You've never failed us. You've never forsaken us. You're an on-time God. 
Lord, we need the right weapons for the time we live in. We need a good foundation in this world that's rapidly moving beneath our feet. Just ask you to help us, Lord. Reinforce us. Thank you for the incredible music. Thank you for the singing. Thank you for the praise and the worship of your people. Thank you. I feel that the ground has been tilled, and I thank you for that, Lord. And I ask you to just touch us all. Your word is anointed. Touch that good group in the youth class, all those in children's ministries. And we'll thank you for all of that. But for a special anointing, we trust you. And we declare over this room right now, and in every room where someone may be watching or listening, we declare they feel your spirit, they hear your word, and they respond to it. In your matchless name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Let's give them a good, strong amen if you believe that. Let's love them together in praise. Amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Those of you that are watching or will watch or listen later, we're honored that you're taking your time to be with us tonight or another day if you happen to see it then. On to Second Chronicles chapter 26. We're going to read uh, a few verses there. We'll read 1 through 5 and then 9 through 10. We're going to talk about a guy that is not talked about a whole lot, but he's going to bring us some really good foundational material. Y'all ready? Let's do it. Second Chronicles 26. Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in the room of his father, Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah. After that, the king slept with his fathers. After that, the king had slept with his fathers. Sixteen years old was Uzziah when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Jeholiah of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah did. And he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. You hear that? As long as he sought the Lord, he prospered. Down to verse number 9. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate, at the turning of the wall, and fortified them. Also he built towers in the desert and digged many wells, for he had much cattle, both in the low country and in the plains. Husbandmen also, and vine dressers in the mountains, and in Carmel. For he loved husbandry. I want to take our thought and subject for this lesson or sermon, whatever this turns into be tonight. As long as we get it, I'm fine with your response. As long as we get it. But from a portion of verse number 10, the very beginning of that verse says, Also he built towers in the desert. I want to preach to you something I've never considered and it's new to me and the Lord's already preached it to me but I want to preach to you on this thought towers in the desert towers in the desert are you ready? alright 
This biblical character, if you will, this man of, uh, of, of substance, he made it to the book. He made, he made a big splash in the book, if you will. He, he's a man that if you know his story or if you go do any studying or reading, and we'll mention a little of it, but he's kind of a guy, uh, he's the tale of, of two cities, kind of. He's a uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde type guy. Uh, there's, there's greatness and then the end of his life, not so much so. But uh, the Bible gives him all the credit and honor for the portions of his life that deserve it. And, and that was during the times that he was seeking after the perfect will of God. However, it does share a little segment, and we'll only mention it if we even get to that. It's all going to depend on what the Lord does here and how, how you receive it. We may not even mention the end of his life, uh, which wasn't as good as the early portions of his life. But we're going to definitely focus on the good parts of his life tonight and how it is that uh, a 16-year-old boy could lead a kingdom that had gone through more ups and downs than imaginable is, is a question that needs to be answered. It's not just a common thing that you go pick out a 16-year-old and say, hey, would you, would you lead this great nation? And so uh, you have to look a little bit into what made him available, what made uh, the elders and the people. I, I know that there were other children, there were other situations, there were other people, there, were, uh, there was the priesthood. There was a lot of things going on and more than one time in Scripture did someone else besides the son of the king take over. So there's all kinds of, of various ways that uh, Uzziah may not have become king. But let's try to figure out why he did. I think the answer to the question really needs to be understood to understand uh, the whole scenario of his life. And so let's look a little bit into who he is, his DNA, if you will, his character. And I'm going to make a few points about that. Let's point out the obvious first. He is from the people of praise. Immediately, that uh, in my heart just kind of uh, strikes the right tone that uh, he, he's already got one thing going for him. He's already got one, one reason that he could be king because he's from the people that know how to praise God. All throughout scripture, historically, uh, these people accomplished great things way and well beyond their own human ability. They, they were praisers. They're from uh, the tribe of Judah. Who is Uzziah's father? It's Amaziah, and his name means Jehovah is mighty. So there's, there's a second thing. I mean, he's a praiser, and now his daddy, the, the DNA from his father says Jehovah is mighty, and his, his daddy was the king of Judah. We read that in our text. And here's something that I really like about Amaziah that makes him kind of amazing to I. Uh, it's something about him that, that I discovered. I like to know who I'm talking about, who I'm preaching about. Sometimes it's why I end up preaching 10 or 15 minutes longer than I ought to is there's details there that I think are important. And here's one of them. Before he was the king, I wanted to research and find out who he was before he was king. 
And what I discovered, the deeper I began to dig into Amaziah's life, he was a part of the Levite Tabernacle Choir. He was a singer. Before he was a king, he was part of an organized group of people that got up before the church and sing songs to the Lord. That's special. You know what it lets me know? It lets me know that Uzziah wasn't only a part of the DNA of praisers, but his daddy really was a praiser. He had education by, by example on how to praise God. Before Amaziah left this world, the one thing that he would do would be to leave a legacy for his son to know, son, if you're going to be a king, you're going to first be a praiser. And if you're going to be a praiser, you're going to learn to sing. I like seeing these men up here singing. I like seeing folks sing that can't sing. They can all sing, but I like seeing people sing that don't believe they can sing because it's not about you. That's why the Bible says, sing all you people. He loved the Lord and he taught the world how to serve no matter what position he was in, no matter what authority he held. He worshiped the Lord as a choir member and he worshiped the Lord as a king. And so there he was. I, I love people that are the same in their walk from the time they come out of the baptistry until the time they go to their grave. They never get too good. They never get too big. They never get too accomplished and start feeling like, well, that little ministry's not that much, really. I, I, I've, surely, I've got to do more. Don't ever get out of the lane of your calling. Amen. If the Lord called you to sing and, and he doesn't clearly call you to something else, die singing. Amen. Die singing. Uh, who, who is Uzziah's mother? That matters. A lot of times the Bible doesn't even tell us who their mother is at all. But what I find about her is her name is Jechaliah. And as we read her name, she's got a very strong meaning too. Her name means Jehovah is able. So you got a daddy named Jehovah is mighty and a mama named Jehovah is able. And your daddy is not in the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, but he's in the Levitical Levite Tabernacle Choir. You got some pretty good genes heading into the kingship. Uh, verse 4 tells us that he done everything that was right in the sight of the Lord according to the things that his father had accomplished. So it lets me know that he followed in his father's footsteps. I could propose to you, maybe not prove it, but he was a worshiper, he was a singer, and he was a mighty man of God. Therefore, the nation thought him ready to be king. Amen. He had a good mentor. He had a good father. He had a good mother. Verse 5 says that, now this right here gets, gets deep right here. This gets real good. Listen close. Verse 5 says that he sought God. Sought God does not just simply mean to seek God. Listen to the meanings, the, the direct meanings to this statement, sought God. To seek with care, to inquire, 
to require, listen to this, require communication with God. He didn't just search it. He required that God talk back to him. Folks, prayer is not monolithic. It's not where one person comes in one room. That's not called communication. That's called talking to yourself. Prayer is dialogue. You hear people sometimes pray and you say, boy, I wish I could pray like them. The only thing is, if they're the only ones doing the talking, when are they listening? Watch this. It says to frequent. To, to, he sought God. These are the other meanings. To frequent a place of God. He sought God. He, he commanded that God speak back to him. He, he went to church frequently. It says to consult God, to inquire of God, to seek God in prayer and worship, to deny heathen deities. Well, this salt right here has got a lot of meaning. What the world considered deity, he denied it. To require a relationship with God, I like this next one, to investigate the ways of God, to study and follow God. I'll tell you something, folks. You do all of that right there, you're going to probably be a pretty good leader. But listen to this very last and important meaning of seeking God. And this is the one that usually gets people. People get tripped up and fall over this one right here. He sought after God. The word sought after God also means to allow God to inquire of himself. What does that mean? Tell me what that means. Here's what it means. My heart is open for correction. You can pray, you can talk to God, you, you, you can have all the outside, but if you don't have a foundation that's strong enough to take a little tweaking every now and then and the Lord to reposition you and turn you a little bit in a little direction or add something to your life or take something away, then you're not really seeking God. You're piddling. Many times people will pray. They'll, they'll, have, they'll have a great prayer life. They'll be able to sing. They'll clout and dance and, and, and talk in tongues as the Spirit comes over them. Things will happen. But when things start getting hairy around the church, as the old saying goes, is when a little correction comes. Uzziah was not that way. He said, Lord, not only do I allow you, I require you to correct me. That makes a good king no matter how old he is. Notice the end of verse 5. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. The word prosper here means to succeed, to make progress, to be loved and followed, and to have financial gain. That's in its original Hebrew words. To succeed, to make progress, to be loved and followed, and have financial gain. How many of you want that? I think we would all want that. That's part of seeking God. And when we seek God, and as long as we're uh, in pursuit of His goodness, the Lord will allow us to succeed and make progress and to be loved and followed and have financial gain. The Bible can't lie. It can't lie. 
Verse number 9 tells us that he built towers in Jerusalem. Towers were uh, in this particular setting and almost all throughout the Old Testament. They weren't just places to say we were here. They were strategic war facilities. They were pyramid-shaped castles or just simply raised platforms or, or tables. I think it's real easy to understand why Uzziah, looking on the past of Israel and looking on the past of Jerusalem, I think it's very easy to understand why he would want some offensive towers and some defensive towers in their capital city. That makes all the sense in the world. I mean, who could disagree with building towers in the city? There's, there's really no uh, debate about that. But the Bible is specific about where he built them. It says that he built them at the corner gate. So I began to study that as I do. And, and I realized that a tower at the corner gate, you know, it's like this at a 90 degree angle. It gives you the ability not to protect one wall, but two walls. Not only the inside of those two walls, but it gives you the ability to protect the outside of those two walls. So he done a smart thing. He was a strategist. He had things on his mind. Why? Because he was seeking God. When you seek God, you know where you need offensive and defensive towers built. That only comes through seeking God. When you quit seeking God, when you start following the lust of the flesh, you'll fail to build towers in the right place. Well... But the Bible just goes on to tell us where he built them. It says he built them at the corner gate. So we talked about that. We understand that. Then the Bible says he built towers at the valley gate. I didn't know what that was. Never heard anybody mention it or preach about it. So I want to know what the valley gate is. It's like a checkpoint. There's, there's traffic that comes up through the mountains, and it's so rugged. And, of course, there's sea on, on, uh, on the north and west side of, of Jerusalem is all the sea down below. But on the other places and on the other sides, there's some mountainous and some rough areas there. And what he done is he said, okay, Here's what we're going to do, guys. We're going to build some towers on the road coming in because I don't want to have to wait to defend the city when they get here. So we're going to go out here on this road out here a few miles and we're going to create some checkpoints and choke points to where if the enemy's going to come in, there's no way he's going to come in by the water and sneak up on us. There's no way he's going to come through some of these mountainous cliff areas around us. But what he's going to do is he's going to come with power and authority down this road. And what I want to do is I want to make sure this valley gate has a place so high we can see them for miles before they ever get close. Pretty smart. Makes sense. It don't really need a whole lot of, don't cause you to scratch your brain much. It's just one of those deals. Then the Bible says that he built a tower at the turning of the wall. I never really knew much about the turning of the wall. The turning of the wall literally means turn, but it's an interior turn. And this was also called a buttress or a strong point. And what they would do is they had a long wall. They'd come in, make a little zig just to give it that strength. And so it would be generally in the middle of the wall. And so the Bible said Uzziah built towers in that uh, on top of that buttress or on top of that small, uh, strong place or, or that inlet portion of the wall. 
What was this about? It wasn't just about having another tower if you've got them on the corners. No, this was about if by some chance they get through the checkpoint, by some chance they get through or over or tear down the wall, we'll be able to defend the city from within the city. He's a pretty strong guy. He's pretty smart. He's got some, he's got some strategy going on. And all of that makes sense to me. Then you get down here to verse 10. And you start going, hmm. Verse 10 says, he built towers in the desert. Let me just give you the definition of desert. Wilderness, pasture, uninhabited land, large tracts of wilderness around various cities, badlands, places with no value. And the Bible tells us these towers were built south of Jerusalem. Now that, that checked me a little bit and said, no, go do, the, go do the study, go do the research. And so I did. What is that? What does it mean? What would you, why would you build towers in the desert and so I discovered again to the north is Lebanon and Syria to the east is modern day Iraq to the west is the Mediterranean Sea to the south is Jordan Egypt and Saudi Arabia boy just that right there if you got much sense if you just heard the news lately that makes sense so here, let's, let's talk about this. It also says he had much cattle and he had husbandmen also. That made me wonder. The word husbandman here means connections, alliances, friendships of people that raise cattle, raise farms, and till the dirt. And it teaches us and shows us in Scripture very clearly that he had these connections and he had these friendships and he had these people all the way from the plains of Judah to the mountain ranges all the way to Mount Carmel. He had other men building and farming for him and it was in these places that he built other towers. He projected what he loved on others. And he had others to help him. I've done, the, done a little search and it was uh, 86 and a half miles is the perfect uh, uh, description of distance by land travel from Carmel to Jerusalem. 86 and a half miles. Don't forget that. The end of verse number 10 says that he loved husbandry. He loved to build is what this means. He loved to construct with earthen substance. He loved to build with rock, brick, clay, and mortar. Folks, these are the strongest building materials available in the day. And only just by some modern technology, they're still the strongest today. So what does this mean? You've got this guy, and he's protected his city on every corner, on the, on the inside walls, on the turns he's protected. He's protected at the entrance. He, he's built uh, fortified uh, barriers and towers down the road, but these towers in the desert, they just don't make sense. It all comes down to he built these towers in directions of his enemies. In badlands. 
on lands that were worthless, that were not worth fighting for, that blood didn't have to spill over, and in rocky places where you couldn't graze cattle and you couldn't grow a crop. He decided that because of his love for building and the desire and the knowledge to know that these towers needed to be standing somewhere, he just started building towers all over everywhere. You read some books about him, you find out nobody even knows it except for the fact he just loved building towers. It's a fact. He, he just loved it. It was his thing. So he got other people to do it, and he made all these connections. And I want to preach to us and teach to us for just a little bit that as we began to study and as we began to, to uh, look at his uh, kingship or what they would call lordship at that time with some uh, certain people, you find these towers in the desert. What were they for? He was building places in the event. Oh, y'all get ready. That hell ever wants to come from that direction. I'm not going to wait until they get to the house to fight them. Watch this. Once you've come out of the world and removed sin from your life, repented of your sins, been baptized in Jesus' name, and been filled with the most precious, wonderful gift ever known to humanity, it's at that point you start building towers. But you don't just build towers at home. You don't just build towers outside of home. You don't just build towers down the road. But you build towers in places where nobody would ever expect you think there needs to be a tower. I want to tell you why. Because the day's coming when the Arabians are going to get on horses. The day's coming when the Egyptians are going to turn against you. The day's coming when the only thing between you and them is badlands and what's there they don't know about. You've got outposts way away from the house. Oh, here we go. There's going to come a day when you're dead and gone that the next generation... I read, I studied in the early portions of his kingdom. He had a whole lot of battles and a whole lot of victories and he had to set a lot of things straight. But once he had the favor of the Lord and he won those battles and he began to build towers, I couldn't find anywhere where he had to fight any enemies where he had towers. I'll tell you something, folks. If hell knows that you're built up in a certain area, it won't mess with you there. The enemy is just like water. He's going to take the path of least resistance. And if he can't get to you, he'll get to your neighbor. But I'm going to tell you something. What we do find is many years later, decades and millennia later, we'll find his ancestors, the people that would follow him, the people in his genealogy, the people that would bear his blood and his father's blood and his mother's blood, they would be able to stand in those towers and say, not only are you not going to get to my house, but you're not going to get past these badlands. You're not going to get past this forest. You're not going to get past these will. Why? Because I have built towers in the desert of my life. 
Somebody hear me. It's easy to build towers close to your heart. It's easy to build towers to protect your children while they're at home. It's easy to stand up some type of a holiness standard right where everybody can see it and where everybody expects it. But where the enemy will come in is where nobody can see and nobody understands and nobody will recognize. And I'm going to challenge you with some foundational teaching and preaching tonight. We need to build some towers that seem like they don't matter. We need to build some towers in some places it doesn't appear there's going to be an attack because whatever we leave vulnerable is where the enemy will come come on somebody hear me right now we need to build some towers in the desert well that's pointless pastor I've never heard of that it doesn't make any sense it'll make sense someday when you recognize you're being attacked from an area you never thought it would come from you gotta build some towers in the desert not just the city not just the streets not just in the town not just at the house but build them in places See, there's people that's got all the basics. I got all the basics. You know, we, we don't lie. We don't rob banks. We don't sleep around. We don't fornicate. We don't look at things we're not supposed to look at. We don't get involved in things we're not supposed to get involved in. So that's not where you're attacked. And you wonder, how did that person fall? How, how, how did that good king come down how did that praiser how did that choir member how did that musician how did that Sunday school teacher how did that pastor how did that assistant pastor how did they fall because they only built towers close to home folks I'm going to tell you something the enemy's got just as good a weapons when it comes to hand to hand as you do what's the difference we've got the favor of the Lord the only other difference is, is we build our towers and we raise our flag and we stand our standards up out there somewhere that's beyond the immediate hand of our enemy. Well, I've talked about this bridge rails before. Bridge rails, they're not designed to drive on. Come on. They're not designed to drive on. They're designed to keep us from going off. And what we have to do in this life is we've got to build some things that will protect us from getting outside of where we ought to be. There's a center line on that road and you take that center line and anytime you need to move for oncoming traffic or an oncoming situation, you got a little variable right or left. If you ride the fence all the time, it won't be long you'll be on the guardrail and it won't be long after that you'll be over the guardrail. I want to preach to somebody right now. Quit barely trying to make it to heaven and go ahead and get all the way in the church and stand up some towers and say no you're not coming to the house you're not even coming across the pasture there's people in this place if you'd build some spiritual towers in the desert your family would be okay your marriage wouldn't be on the rocks your finances wouldn't be struggling if you'd build the towers of godliness and purity and holiness and separation and right from wrong and wrong from right the Lord would then show favor to you 
Why do you stay in the condition you're in? Because you don't have towers in the desert places. Well, as long as I can just protect my little bubble, let me tell you something. Every single one of us in this building, except the Lord's trumpet blow, every one of us are going to go by the way of the grave. And I want to tell you something. We better leave some towers for the next generation. We better leave a place for them to run. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Watch this. Even the Bible said where the righteous can run to. You know what that means? You don't live at the tower. It's an outpost. It's a place you can go to when you need it. You can always call on his name. You can always live under an unction of the Holy Ghost, but get a hold of something a little deeper and a little stronger. Pastor, all I want to do is go to heaven. If that's our mentality, it may be tough. I want to go with room to spare. Well, all that stuff you preach and all that, all that the way you and your family live and you try to live, and, and I, don't, I just don't want any of that. I just want the blessings of the Lord. You don't want his protection. You see, you get out there at about 1,000 yards and all you got is a twenty two rifle, it may travel that far, but it ain't going to travel accurately. Why do I want to wait until you get 15 feet from me to have my first defense? Let me tell you what. Uzziah had a mama. And Uzziah had a daddy. That put DNA in him and said, boy, you're going to be a worshiper. You're going to be in the choir. I'm going I'm to I'm be totally transparent with you right here. It bothers me sometimes to look up and see only two men in the choir. We'll lead our families. Well, I, I, I just, you know, Pastor, I, I tell you, I'm, I'm, not really, I'm not really called to sing. Well, then do the best you can from your pew. I'm not a singer. Oh, yeah, you are. I'm not, I'm not a shouter. Oh, yeah, you're a shouter. Bible says with a shout and a voice of triumph, well, that doesn't fit my personality. You give me a hammer in your finger and see if it fits your personality. See, everything is conditional. When Jeremiah said it's like fire shut up in my bones, somebody said, well, it ain't like me to get up from my pew when the Holy Ghost moves. It ain't like me... I've said it a lot of times, and I hadn't seen an Ohio blue tip match in a long time. But when I was a kid, they made them. They was real matchsticks. I mean, they wasn't saving wood back then. You could strike it, and you had a fire going that would produce heat just on that stick. You fire one of them up and let me hold it under your seat for just a few moments. You're going to feel what Jeremiah felt. That fire shut up. Well, it's just not like me. You let us heat that seat up a little bit. You remember that quiet child that just never said anything, never disturbed anybody, never until mom or daddy got that belt out? Heat that seat up just a little bit. And all of a sudden you realize what kind of personality they are. The fact is this, folks. We are what we allow ourselves to be. 
And when the Bible said shout unto the Lord, it's a commandment. When he said sing unto the Lord, it's a commandment. When he said clap your hands, all your people, it was a commandment. In Psalm 149 and three, where it says, dads, because of his name's sake, it's a commandment, not a suggestion. I want to tell you something. If you want a Pentecostal fire to burn, all you got to do is get the smoke boiling and everybody around will come to see what's burning. We call them rubberneckers on the highway. Every time you get going somewhere and there's an accident or a wreck and you wonder, well, I see what's going on over there, but why is my side messed up? Because everybody on your side slowing down to see what's going on on that side. It's the same thing with Holy Ghost fire. You get some old dead wood a burning, it'll burn fast, it'll burn hot, and it'll burn you into a dance, it'll burn you to a hand clap, it'll burn you to a thank you Jesus, it'll burn you off the pew, it'll burn you out of the lust of the flesh, it'll burn you to run the aisle. Somebody needs to hear me right now. We need to build some towers in the deserts of worship. We need to build some towers in the deserts of despair. We need to build some towers. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against it. Upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Deuteronomy 22 and 23 says, I'm designed to be the head and not the tail, the lender and not the borrower, the first and not the last, the winner and not the loser, the king and not that one that's sweeping the floor of the kingdom. Well, anyhow, back to life point. We need to build some places, some towers in places that our humanity don't understand. We need to learn to love to build and encourage those around us to build. Come on, help me, help me build. Help me. Help me build a tower. Well, what's the tower going to do? It's going to be a tower of praisers. Because you could put 30 or 40 men looking north, south, east, and west in that tower. And they could begin to shout. And we read it all throughout scripture. One time over 300,000 people killed one another. And the ones that didn't kill each other committed suicide. Because they got up in between the mountains from a high place. And began to shout and dance. And in the modern day, talk in tongues and worship a little bit. And hell said, oh no. Turned the knives on themselves and said, we're not interested in this battle. Let me tell you what happened. Somebody's kids got in a tower that mama built. Somebody's kids got in a tower that daddy built. And hell said, it's a bunch of them. Where one can put a 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. You start doing math on top of that, it's way too many zeros. You build a tower and put you a few people in it where there's always a good, loud hallelujah, and it'll shake the foundation of hell every day of your life. Towers in the desert. 
I don't understand it like that. I don't think I need to do all those things. And I don't know if what the pastor's preaching is right or if it's not. Or I will challenge you on that one, preacher. I've heard all kinds of garbage. And I want to tell you something right now. It might not even be that way for you. But your spirit says it all. I will not. I'm drawing a line right here. If you draw any lines to the Lord and say, Lord, I'll go anywhere but here for you, you can count on it. There's already an exit ramp prepared for you. That's just this one line I won't cross. He proved it with Abraham and Isaac. He proved it with the, with the apostles in the boat. He, he proved it with, with Moses and Aaron. He proved it with Jonah. He proved it over and over again. He don't want to take your life. He wants you to give it. He don't want to take your money. He wants you to give it. He don't want to take your time. He wants you to give it. He don't want to take your ability. He wants you to give it. And what he don't need, he will return. He's a God of first fruit. Talk about first fruit. We're not even going to talk about money right here. Talk about first fruit. If you give everything first to the Lord, he is a God that's so incredible. It's all his anyway. And his word says, but I'm going to let you have 85% of it. Somebody said, well, the preacher just went up on tithes. He gave himself a raise. First of all, I don't get the tithes like that. Next of all, I've always done a shekel and a half shekel. And I'm going to tell you, from the day I started doing that as a young man, my business was blessed. My home was blessed. The church was blessed. People, are past- We ought to be a church that's 100% givers. If you don't give a slip at the end of the year that says what you've given, naughty on you. I wasn't, that ain't in my notes. I'll share them with you. But I'm going to tell you something. We build towers. We don't build them right here. Why do you want to protect your nickel when he's sitting on millions? He can't bless a closed hand. No, I'm not talking about just money here. He can't bless a closed hand that refuses to do anything for him. I won't witness for him because I'm a little embarrassed. He can't bless that. Because while you're witnessing at Whataburger or at Mod Pizza after a while, somebody's going to be witnessing to your children in another state, in another town, in another church. The spirit of truth's going to come over them because you have built a tower that's not even protecting your house. Well... He reigned 52 years. 40 of those years were the most peaceful years in the history of Judah. You can't find 40 better years than the early 40 years of Uzziah's life. So much to the point that the prophet Isaiah backslid over it. Really? Absolutely. He confessed it. In Isaiah 6 and 1, he starts out like this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Then he goes on to say, I'm unworthy because things were going so good in the land and Uzziah had done so much good, Isaiah did not see a reason to entreat of the Lord to speak to the people. Why mess up a good thing? He sat back so long that he had to repent and have an angel come put a coal of fire on his lips to speak the word of God again. 
Why? Because the king was doing so good that it spilled over into the spiritual life of the prophet. When things are good, you still ought to be talking to the Lord. There's a story in a story. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. I've used that at a whole lot of funerals and probably will in the future if you ever hear it again. But when the kings in our life die, it seems like that's always when we start looking to find the Lord. The king in Isaiah's life died. And it was at that very moment, the next thing he could look at was the Lord. And when he looked, he saw him. And when he saw him, his train filled the temple. And you all know it, but I'm just going to share it anyway. His train filled the temple, meaning he was still an undefeated God. Although I hadn't been doing much over the last 20 or 30 years, and I hadn't been praying anybody through, I hadn't been attending service, I hadn't been contributing anything at all to the church, the Lord still hadn't lost a battle. I'm not going to speak for you, but I'm going to speak for me. The Lord can do without me. Come on. He can do without me. He can bring peace in the middle of a storm without me. He can bring peace to my wife and to my children and my grandchildren and my two sons-in-law without me. He can save all them without me. But how much better is it if I'll build some towers out there that says no way, no how, not today, never will you come close to my house. Because I didn't wait till you got close to have a tower up, but I built a tower in a land that was worthless. You know what the word bad lands and uninhabitable and worthless Lands meant nobody was going to come to fight over that. And you got this knucklehead, 16 years old, out building towers everywhere. But you know what he was seeing? He was seeing on down the line. He was seeing just like when they crossed the river, put these stones here. Why? They're not any good for anything. Put them here for a memorial. Your children are going to need to cross someday, and they're going to know right here is where the miracles happen. Come on. You see, Paul was talking about some, some standard of living, if you will, or some ways to live. And, and he's a pretty wise guy. He, he, he put a lot of things out there in, in the, to, the, to the Corinthian church. He put a lot of things out there. And he's, but, he, but he said something at the end of all of that holiness preaching because he's a smart guy. Understand, he writes 13 epistles. He understands what's going on. He knows his God, and he had an experience that could not be denied after he preaches on holiness and tells the church at Corinth how to stay saved and how to teach their children and how to live. He said, but now let me tell you, we've just now got this Holy Ghost. We're not going to let these few little issues split the church. He says, we have now therefore no laws concerning these things he understood and he had surveyed his crowd and here's what he knew I don't have to fix you I just got to get you to receive the Holy Ghost 
Because the Bible said the Holy Ghost will lead you and guide you in all truth. If every time you show up to church, I got to preach about your closet or what you're watching on television or what you're looking at on the internet, you don't need me. You need the Holy Ghost. Well, then I'm going to say it again. If every time you come to church, you need clothesline closet preaching, you don't need a preacher. You need God. The Holy Ghost will produce fruit. I'm not going to get in a big old fight over all that. I just want to see your life change when you go down in the water and you come up talking in an unknown tongue and know that God is going to make the change. Come on, Brother Jaden. Whoever it was that was playing guitar, I think that was you. Just come just give me just a little bit as quick as you can. I want to see you run the aisles just because I've never seen that before. Yeah. They're like a linebacker coming into the altar. Now we can officially say our guitarist runs the aisles. Hey, 52 years of success, though, brought a lot of pride. That, that wasn't a beat down. That was, that was all in good, clean fun for my brother. I know he loves the Lord. If you took that wrong, you got a bad spirit. 52 years of success. And I wasn't talking to him about that either. It brought pride to his heart. And I wasn't even going to mention this, but I think we've been good enough. We're at 40 minutes. It's time to quit. But here we go. Pride came to his life. After all of that success, here's how he died. He comes in one day and Isaiah hadn't said anything. So it lets me know that the king is not going to the priest for a word. So after a while, I don't care how good your kingdom is, you need a word. No, I, I place it all on Isaiah. But maybe he sent something in Uzziah that Uzziah had such a, a relationship with God, he wouldn't listen to a man. I don't know what he sensed. I don't know what the relationship was. It's not a whole lot about it. But he doesn't have a word from the Lord, so he, he, he's not submitting himself to the prophet in his life. Now somebody's going to leave, and that's all you're going to get out of this. You're going to forget about the desert and the tower, and you're going to get submission out of this, and it's not about it. But if the shoe fits, if you need somebody to be accountable to, if you need a phone number when you're about to fail, I've got a phone. Many of you know it real well no problem keep calling just stay saved but here's what happens he didn't get a word from the prophet so he wakes up one day and I don't know if it's a wild hair if it's something he's been thinking about for a long time but he decides he's going to go in the temple and he's going to burn incense at the altar of incense the king decides he's going to take on the role of the pastor the fastest way for your kingdom to come down the fastest way for my kingdom to come down is to decide I don't need or desire a word from anybody else and nobody can speak into my life and I'm not accountable to anybody you know what's about to happen here's what's about to happen you're going to make the mistake. 
Here's the mistake. You're going to reach for something God don't want you to have. And when you do, you stretch outside of His protection. If God didn't call you to prophesy, quit looking for a word. If God didn't call you to preach, quit trying to build a sermon. God didn't call you to write a song, put down the pen. He called us all to worship. Once we get that, we'll understand our next calling. Until then. Uzziah didn't get it. And he walks into the church. And he's about to burn incense on the altar of incense. And the Bible said that the priest ran to him. And stood face to face with him and said you're my king you could have me executed right now but I'm going to tell you something you're not burning any incense in this church it's not your place and the Bible didn't back the good solid king he backed the good godly priest took four of them to turn Uzziah away But while he stood there trying to perform a duty that he was not called or qualified to do, leprosy came on his face. Standing at the altar, ready to light up the incense for the Lord, leprosy came on him. And the Bible said he lived in a several house. Several means divided. He never lived with another human being for the remainder of his life. They took the king, locked him away, replaced him, and he died an old leper having known it all. Had all the answers. Don't need a priest. Don't need a preacher. Don't need a church. Don't need to worship. I've had so much good times. I must be doing it all right. I think I'll just go take over the church. Go look in the mirror when you're done. Well, I'll just read it. Come on, I want the rest of the singers to come. I'll tell you what, I don't want us to end in a, uh, well, I want us to end how the Lord wants us to end, but that last song y'all done, wow. Second Chronicles 26 and 16. But when he was strong, listen to this. When he was strong, Uzziah, when he was strong, his heart was lifted. The word right there means pride. He was doing such a good job. He got prideful about his accomplishments. He got pride in his heart. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense verse 21 and Uzziah the king was a leper until the day of his death and dwelt in a several house being a leper for he was cut off from the kings of the Lord and Jotham his son was over the king's house judging the people of the land here's the moral of the whole story if you'll build you some towers in places that don't even make sense You'll defend enemies that don't understand why you built the tower in the first place. Because all those southern nations would come against Israel many times after that. 
And on many occasions, the way they would win would be from a tower in the desert. Stay in your lane. Do your job. Follow your calling. Build up walls. If you read that whole chapter, you'll find out where the Bible says Uzziah built engines. You start reaching into that. He built engines. What was engines? It was things the Lord gave him in his mind and he put it on all them towers. When the enemy was coming with a bow and arrow, he had a Gatlin gun that could shoot arrows on fire. From a long way. Go read it. It's in there. He was technology on steroids in the Old Testament. While everybody else, let's stand together.